season three, lighten up chumps, smoking fools, kicking ass and taking names, and finally acknowledging that diet Dr. Pepper tastes more like regular Dr. Pepper. Uh, I am Rylan Grant, screenwriter, Ringo award-winning creator of fine comics like Aberrant Banjax and Suicide Jockeys. The other voice in the dark, the man in the box to the right this time is... David Avaloni, comic book writer, film veteran, and uh, afternoon drinker. Love it. If you missed any of our previous conversations, episodes uh, featuring comic luminaries like David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Sakai, Kevin Eastman, Rodney Barnes, and many more, our entire catalog can be celebrated uh, celebrated via YouTube, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, and other purveyors of worthwhile ear crack. I skipped one on purpose there. And, I like uh, that. I, li- I like I, the, the pregnant, there was the pause in there while, <laughs> where your brain stopped, yeah. said no. We're not going to yeah. talk about drinking our own pee on this podcast. And then you jump to the next one. Yeah. 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 Uh, fun, fun, fun. So anyway, double on back and uh, and check all that stuff out. Um, we have a great show for you today. A fun show. Uh, but let's get a quick plug in. I think Avalone is uh, good to go right now. But I just wanted to quickly note that uh, the collected edition, the trade paperback of my Source Point Press Tokusatsu Joint Suicide Jockeys is uh, in fine comic shops right now, so go out and get it. Um, Tokusatsu for the Uninitiated is the Japanese sci-fi action genre that includes things like uh, Power Rangers and Voltron. It also includes Kaiju Fair like um, like Godzilla. Um, Suicide Jockeys, in a nutshell, is Fast and the Furious meets Voltron uh, with an extra dollop of heart and soul. It is a uh, family drama at its core uh, in a fun way, so go check it out. It's a great book. Um, I think currently sitting at a 9.2 on uh, um, on Comic Book Roundup, if you care about that shit. Um, but uh, well-received uh, and enjoyed by critics and readers alike. Um, but yeah, that's what I have to say. Let's uh, let's bring the guests on, huh? Our guest today, Jason Inman. Welcome. Well, hello, gentlemen. There's no way in hell that I can ever beat that Tarzan yell by Ryland, so I'm not even going to bother. So I'll just give a big wave. That's very good. Which which will do nothing for your audio listeners. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I do worry about that sometimes. They they miss the subtle enjoyment of watching me drink. <laughs> yeah, I, I I often pull things from the office as visual yep. aids, and and I have to. I, I probably apologize to the uh, the audio audience like I don't know four or five times a uh, a broadcast. So we do that on our podcast as well. Incredible toy collection. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we do that multiple times. Our, our famous catchphrase on our podcast is, uh, you know, podcasting famously a visual medium. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, mine is always like, well, I know this is great radio, but. Um, yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> Showing your age there. Yeah, there you go. Everybody, yeah. everybody that like just took you to the the top of the podcast charts just left because they're like, oh, listen, to this grandpa radio. radio. What's next? What Pandora? That? Yeah. God. Wow. So. reference. We jump right over. Jason, please introduce yourself. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself. And feel free to roll right into talking about uh, your Kickstarter, which is in its final week when this will be broadcast. Sure. Uh, I'm Jason Inman. I'm a longtime podcaster, longtime uh, Ringo uh, nominated writer, comic book writer, and TV writer. And um, I now do a lot of Kickstarter projects, including the one that is live right now that closes on March 3rd called Super Best Friend, which is basically imagine what if Jimmy Olsen twitched all the adventures of Superman all over TikTok and Twitter and YouTube, and what crazy complications that might lead to if he accidentally revealed Superman's identity to the entire world. Nice. Um, for ratings. Uh, so like my Jimmy Olsen analog is Matty Moore. My Superman analog is Captain Terrific. And, uh, basically it is a, a zany, fun comic book adventure full of silver age energy that is just full of cybernetic clones and electric doppelgangers. Yes, there is a Superman blue and Superman red reference. And, um, yeah, we're going, we, we funded in less than 10 hours at superbestfriendcomic.com, which is my fastest Kickstarter ever. And um, it's been going really great. It's, uh, you know, George Cambodias, my artist, is, is d- delivering killer pages. And uh, I'm really excited that I get to complete the trilogy of the Super Best trilogy. How many? Is this a third issue or is this? This is the second of three. Okay. So I did the first one, which luckily funded. Again, I, I, I like to use Kickstarter as, do you like this? And then if it funds, 
then we go to the next one. Uh, you know, it's a very, uh, you know, Ryland might have been able to find this a lot with, you know, some of his campaigns as well. Like, I find, I'll put it out there for the audience. If they like it, well, I'll keep going. If they don't, well, then I, I, I got other ideas. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's, it is a, uh so much work goes into one of these mm -hmm. that if there's not going to be a kind of groundswell from the community, then it certainly does not make, make it worth putting all the, uh, the effort in promoting it and fulfilling it and all that stuff. So yeah, you definitely want a, uh, yeah. You, 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 yeah. Well, it's like, a, it's like a TV pilot, obviously, yeah. you know, if, if there's a response, you do, you do a season. Uh, all of mine have been pretty like, Nope, I'm going for the brass ring, and it's scary, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, but part of that is, you know, that my partner has a lot of fans, and that's a huge advantage. And I would never pretend it's not a huge advantage. Um, if you're gonna if you're gonna start a sci-fi franchise, not a bad idea to have George Lucas as your partner. If you're gonna start comic books, I recommend Kevin Eastman uh, <laughs> to to help you get over that get over that initial hump. But um, it hurt. The uh, it's funny the whole secret identity thing. It develops, you know, the idea of the secret identity comes a little bit from Zorro and mm -hmm. the Scarlet Pimpernel and all of that. It <clears throat> always, it came from a world without cameras. Yes, no one's going to say, "Golly, Sir Percy Blakeney, that painting of the Scarlet Pimpernel greatly resembles you." <laughs> like, and guys working at night, you know, the shadow, no one gets a close look at the shadow. And then in the 70s, when I'm reading Superman comic books, Superman is literally an anchorman on television. And I always think about the moment where Superman is sitting in the disc and there's a close up of Superman on the monitor behind <laughs> him and everybody in the world is an idiot. <laughs> Going, if you go back to the, the, my favorite version of Superman is always the Max Fleischer the Fleischer Brothers cartoons. Yeah. And Lois Lane only sees Superman for three seconds, generally on a plane that's crashing or a volcano that's like she sees him in he a. He doesn't stick around. He zooms away as yeah, soon as he can. He gets her on top yep. of a building, goes, stay here, and flies away. Yep. So she never notices that Clark Kent is also 6'5 and has crazy broad shoulders. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like, no, you're not the guy in the wrestling costume. That's a totally different dude. Uh, I always love the John Byrne when he did Man of Steel sort of reference that. I love that he introduced this idea that he like slightly vibrates at all times so that mm. all the pictures of Superman are blurry. Yeah. Now, later writers have completely forgotten that, but I kind of <laughs> always loved that. I bought that as like why in the world, um, why the world doesn't immediately just take a picture and go like, hey, Clark, what's going on here? Yeah, <laughs> did you ever see that great, uh, someone did a cartoon of Lois Lane adding a picture of herself with Superman to Facebook. Yes. And Facebook is saying, do you want to tag Clark Kent? Yes. <laughs> Which is one of the best secret identities. And she's like, hey. Yeah. Uh, Kurt Busiek did a great, I never know how to pronounce his last name, did a great take on it in Astro City also which was about Lois Lane constantly scheming to find out who Superman was. And he didn't mm -hmm. use he didn't use Samaritan, his, his, his usual Superman. But like as, the end of the story is super, that Superman saying to Lois Lane, oh my God, you're the most annoying person in the world. I'm going to leave this planet. I am that tired of you pranking me to make to find out. If I remember that. Yes, she was like, I'm done with you because you've been lying for, for years. You know, it's funny. Um, you know, like a lot of people ask me, like, what were some of the inspirations for, for Maddie Moore, my Jimmy analog? And I took a big inspiration from Astro City because there's that issue in the DC run where they meet all the call center people for the Honor Guard, their Justice League. And so you can, you know, they have a hotline and they just call in and it's all the people being like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to pass this up to Samaritan here. I'm going to here's the fire department. Here's the over here, you know. Um, and I always thought that was genius. I, I thought it was very smart. And I, 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 it was one of those ideas that I thought, why didn't DC immediately steal this? It's so like, this is a spinoff television show. Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, abs absolutely. Well, Kurt, I mean, his superpower literally is how would that work really though? <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. he's yeah. so good at those. And yeah, I often think about like, they never show you Superman prioritizing in his super hearing. 
going, well, there's a woman being mugged on 8th Street, but then there's a skyscraper collapsing in Tokyo. I should probably tell the woman on 8th Street, she's, sorry, lady, but, you know, I got to go save 10,000 people in Tokyo. You know, I always loved it in Marvel books when Spider-Man would get dragged into big things and go like, this is like a Fantastic Four thing, man. Like, <laughs> I, am, I catch muggers. I don't. I don't want to be in outer space with you people. This is like not my deal, you know. I always I wanted a scene um in Infinity War, Avengers Infinity War where I you know before I want a Charlie Cox's Daredevil and a couple of the other Netflix heroes to like walk out the door, see some of the Thanos stuff and just be like I ain't dealing with that. I want to get a drink yeah. and they just go right back inside. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember whose joke it was on Twitter, but someone did like the areas of influence and it was like, you know, the Guardians of the Galaxy, the Galaxy, you know, Captain Marvel, the universe, you know, and it got down to Daredevil micromanaging the hell out of, you know, a few blocks on six blocks. Yeah, <laughs> six blocks in, in uh, Hell's Kitchen. And then Jessica, Jessica Jones was, would everyone just get out of my living room? <laughs> you know? Yeah, like the 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 shrinking of what I consider to be my responsibilities of a, as a superhero. Well, know? that was one of the I always thought. You know, again, you talk about things that you wish, um, like common, especially the bigger two, right? With the eighty years of history, that I always thought the idea that Mark Miller introduced in Civil War that there should be a super team in every state of the United States, mm -hmm. right? Like I always thought that was a genius idea, and then it basically was forgotten because I yeah. I always had the pitch of like, I was like, I wanted to tell the story of the Kansas team because that's where I'm from. And I want them to just be like, I wanted it to be like 11 issues of nothing happening. They're just help, right. helping ladies across the street car. Right. They're like, you help change the flat tire. And then like issue 12 is a tornado. So they finally have something to do. Right. That sounds like <laughs> a, I would buy that book. There was a one panel joke in a what if annual i think in the 80s that was what if every marvel superhero lived in new york city lived in you know peoria or duluth or something mm -hmm. and they're literally sitting in a bar and i think some spider-man is like reading a newspaper and on the back of the newspaper it says dr doom destroys new york city it was easy you know photograph of dr doom <laughs> giving the thumbs up and in the background cap and iron man are like i don't know bowling tonight and iron's like yeah, we went bowling last night like that's the <laughs> That's the comic that you were basically doing is like, yeah, Baxter building, not my problem anymore. Yeah. Like, but, but yeah, that's, 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 how, that's how it would really be, right? Like, that's how it would be. You'd have so <clears throat> many superheroes just be like, I don't, I don't want to deal with that. <clears throat> I, well, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, I, I explored this in, in in certainly in Banjax, but in Aberrant a little bit, and in uh, Suicide Jockeys a little bit. Even, I mean. <clears throat> you know mainstream comics mostly go with the idea that really good hearted people people with a sense of honor and duty are the ones that get the superpowers <laughs> and and they're going to save the city and they're going to do this and they're going to do that um that that's not how it would go you know it would be it, it, i mean it, none of us are that none of us are that honorable that principle that i mean there would be some of it um, but it's like, if I had superpowers, I would want everyone to know, you know, uh, uh, I would be doing conventions and signing autographs and, and, and I would want endorsements and, um, and I would, you know, if I had super strength or was, you know, invulnerable or whatever, like, um, it would be very hard not to take what I wanted. I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. You know, I'm, I'm not going around robbing banks in general, but it's this, you know, uh, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Um, I think we would all have, a, even the best of us would have a very tough time managing that and not just not just taking when we wanted to. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I think that that's very interesting, but but really what would happen is, I mean, how many how many very troubled people do you run into every day? <laughs> And, and it would be those people that got the superpowers. I mean, that's what that's what Banjax was. Is Banjax is like a, is you know, what if like a, what if a like drunk deadbeat dad is the guy that gets the superpowers? You know, and it's like he he he's trying to do good, but he is his upbringing, his psychology, literally makes him incapable of of doing it. Right, mm -hmm. um, and he turns into more of like a Charles Bronson in Death Wish than a. Uh, 
um, than, you know, than Superman. You know, it's like even, even when he thinks he is doing good, um, he's doing it in a very twisted, <laughs> sick way. And so, um, so, I mean, I think that that, that is the interesting part about it. I, I, I mean, I think, you know, if you're, if you're reading, I mean, Marvel and DC, they, they sort of, sort of into these lanes. I mean, they made Iron Man an alcoholic in the seventies, right? I mean, that, that, that was a huge deal. And, and we see that, but it's like, but there's, um, that is the biggest buy-in with me with superhero comics. You know, it's not that aliens are attacking us and, and these, you know, three to five men and women uh, uh, who have some sort of superpowers, you know, are, are, are the ones standing between us and them. It's that like, well, those people haven't like cracked and taken over the world yet <laughs> or, mm-hmm. or, or stolen all the money or, or done this or done that. But, um, you know, I guess uh, I, I. right. Well, and with the, ex- in the MCU, with the exception of, you know, J. Jonah Jameson, there's less of the, well, maybe, you know, Thanos was right. Maybe, Maybe we should have let them. Maybe, maybe let's hear what the Shatori have to say about their plans for New York City. You know, are they going to yeah. build schools after they kill the Avengers? Or did, uh, did you guys see Spider-Man: No Way Home? I did. Yeah. Um, have you seen it, Ryland? Uh, it's the most recent one. I, yeah. I, I have yet to see now because yeah. of the, the, the theater uh, uh, problems. But oh, yeah. okay. I tell you, uh, well, there's there's one. This is this is not this is not even a story point. But yeah, this yeah. Is the the thing that made me laugh out loud the most in that movie was there is a shot where they give you one of Jay Jonah's uh, broadcasts. Nice. And then they cut out to a different angle to show you the green screen he's in front of. And he's like in his garage surrounded by junk and garbage. Right. <laughs> and then like, and they keep, and then he tries to sell you pills. Yeah. Um, his, his daily bugle pills. Um, and I was like, Oh my God, we're totally leaning to that. And I, that was one of those moments where I was like, this has to be, they did this on set. And I read, read the script. It's in the script. It's written in the script as like, we cut out to his junk filled garage. Yeah. Um, which I thought was very funny, but yeah, you're well, right. Like we don't blink. Smart we don't break that reality. Yeah. It's a smart extrapolation of that character. I mean, not that there wouldn't be a shitty editor at the New York daily bugle in the 21st century. There are plenty of those going around, you know, talking about Spider-Man's emails for 300 issues or whatever. But, uh, you know, it, but yeah, the, the Mar the Marvel universe version of Alex Jones, uh, you know, since we have those people in the real world. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, we are, we are, we are so divided as a society on what is right and what is wrong. The idea that there is this like unified right and wrong is very, you know, because it, you know, the, the wrong guy gets superpowers and he thinks that the most important thing to do is to go smash plant parenthood uh, locations, you know, um, right. uh, you know, that he's saving the world by doing that. Um, well, and Bendis did a great job. They've, they've <laughs> since ripped it off a couple of times, but powers did a run that was essentially Superman loses his mind. Yeah, and almost destroys the world because he's Superman and him going nuts is an apocalypse level event, and nothing yeah, yeah. can really stop it from happening. And I thought that was a really, that was a really good idea. It is a, it is also a a, a characteristic of the shared universe thing that I think makes it, it makes it hard. You know, the Marvel characters were designed to all share a universe. Mm-hmm. DC characters were not. Batman was not introduced in a comic book where Superman existed. Like, they were all very much walled off, and it was more of a competition with Marvel thing where they went, "No, Batman and Superman can meet. Sure, we can, we can do all that kind of thing." Um, and it does, like you know, you have to squint a little bit. I like the new version, the new show, Superman and Lois. But whenever Superman's having trouble, I'm like, you know, uh, Martian Manhunter could probably give you a hand with it. <laughs> you could <laughs> well you could get Diana I mean, Prince on the phone, and uh, yeah. this would all be cleared right up, my friend. Yeah. Well, I have that same thought every time I see a Marvel movie, and the Avengers don't show up. I mean that right. the entire mm-hmm. the entire climax of Eternals. I had that same thought. I was like, "This is yeah, an yeah. Avengers level event." Yeah, right. Where um, are they? What are they doing? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Eternals was really rough in terms of that. It's yeah. like, where, where is everyone else? And yeah, uh, well, and, and, yeah. and I just reread the Jack Kirby, and I am a huge fan of Jack Kirby, and mm-hmm. that I have never liked the Eternals. It's got some ugly. I'm ideas. with you. I'm with you on that. I there. I say I'm like there are no good Eternals <laughs> runs, and I haven't read yeah, the most recent Jack, one, so. <laughs> I'm kind of amazed that, and again, it's something where I feel like if you'd had a five, if someone had had a five-minute conversation with him, he would have been like, 
oh yeah, beautiful people are good and ugly people are evil is kind of a Nazi ideology and I shouldn't maybe put that in my comic book. Now they undid that in the movie. They didn't make the deviants mm -hmm. just ugly little, you know, <laughs> caricatures like they are in the comic, uh, but it was just not smart. And when I go back and put it in perspective, I'm a huge fan of Jack at DC. Yes. And Eternals is so clearly, oh, fuck it, I'll just do the new gods here. And I've been reading all this Chariots of the Gods nonsense for my 2001 A Space Odyssey comment, comic. I'm going to jam that in, too. And it's all dumb. And if you read his entire run, there is no evidence that it takes place in the Marvel Universe. Mm. There's, a, there's a crossover with the Hulk, and it's a Hulk robot created by college students based on their favorite comic book character. Oh, interesting. So he does, like, I don't remember what if it is, 13, 18 issues where there are no indications that it's the Marvel universe. And I don't think it was any, it's, they're too big for the Marvel universe for obvious reasons, mm -hmm. you know? And look, the new gods are also a little too big for the DC universe, but I don't care because I love them. Mm -hmm. You know, the fact that they're not part of the cosmology and then suddenly in the seventies, you know, they take an interest in the earth for the first time. And that's when we hear about them and introduced of course, in, Jimmy Olsen comics because mm -hmm. he knew how to sneak up on you when he felt like it. Um, but yeah, the Eternals was that whole, like there's this secret history of universe, the universe. And we somehow, it somehow hasn't come up <laughs> in 24 movies. This somehow never got mentioned that these people actually are secretly running everything. Well, okay. that's the, that's the, that's the trope that I would say in modern media, I'm the most tired of is this idea that I feel, and I don't know what it is, but I feel like in the last five years in, in like television and movies, we keep getting this trope of, well, where were you when Vietnam or 9-11 or World War II happened? And it's like, well, I was doing this other thing. And it's like, well, you should have helped out. You yeah. really should have done something. <laughs> I am not allowed, you. Yeah, I am not allowed <laughs> to interfere with the humans, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. But yeah. Now, now in this movie, I'm going to interfere with the humans. Yeah. Or, yeah. or hey, it's, a, it's a big woman. galaxy. There was other stuff going on, you know? Yeah. I, I, I couldn't be troubled with this. Uh, yeah, it's like it's like this event is, now seems yeah. very minor compared to all this yeah. other stuff. <laughs> yeah, the idea that Wonder Woman stayed the hell out of World War Two. Yeah, I suddenly got interested when Pedro Pascal offered everyone their wishes. Seems like no, the genocide didn't throw you at all. No. You didn't leave your job at the art museum in Paris when you, the Nazis. You, you Paris. only do one world war. I don't know if you know this. You don't. You if a second world war comes around, you just don't do it. Of course, the part <laughs> of me that's a that's a frustrated history professor. The number of reviews that I saw of the first Wonder Woman movie that referred to the Germans in it as Nazis oh. made me borderline suicidal. <laughs> I'm like, don't, don't do, no, don't. They're not all the same Germans. That's and I, as a as a decision to like stay away from what uh, it seemed to me, it was entirely a decision made because of what Marvel had done. Mm -hmm. The movie was already patterned on Captain America. Yeah. They'd made it World War II like it is in the original comics. Like Marvel kind of ate their lunch and got in their way of ever doing that. And having Diana Prince be in World War II, you know. But look, the comics, I mean, the Spear of Destiny. Like we all had to like accept the Spear of Destiny for 30 years. <laughs> keeping, keeping. Uh, yeah, how many times did Hitler possess a DC superhero? I think it happens a lot. Yeah. It happens a lot. I remember reading the. Uh, I remember reading a run of Fantastic Four. I think it was a John Byrne run mm -hmm. where Nick Fury got a time machine and went back to kill Hitler because why not? Sure. <laughs> you know? And Reed had to stop him because you know whatever the time stream and who wants to save twenty million people yeah. when you can keep the time screen stream exactly the way it is? You know, White blanket. Yeah. I yeah. do this um, Just League podcast with a friend where we're like going through the first season of the Just League animated series. And, you know, it like aired in 2002 and their season one finale is about like Vandal Savage basically taking over from Hitler and, you know, building this advanced weaponry. And that's why they win the war. And there is a scene in that that I thought it's a shocked me that this aired on Cartoon Network as a kid's show in like 2002. And it was literally a scene where and I don't know why, but Vandal Savage didn't kill Hitler. He froze him in a vat. And like so when, 
yeah, like you do. Just in case, we might need this guy. He's yeah, an yeah. okay artist. Um, and at the end of the episode, when Vandal Savage is beaten, there's a scene where the Nazis are like, well, what are we going to do next? And like, um, they're like, well, let's unfreeze Hitler. And they show you the scene where they unfreeze Hitler. Like, they start unfreezing Hitler. And I was like, why is this in a Justice League cartoon from 20 that, years that ago? That was the movie, right? It was called no, Saturday it was the Sun? series. It was the series. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I know they did a standalone, I think it was called Savage Time, mm-hmm. Justice League World War II movie that was, I only liked it because it had Sergeant Rock in it. Yeah. And I grew up with Sergeant Rock and, you know, he doesn't show up in, he doesn't show up in DC media <laughs> a lot, um, you know, more's the pity. I remember the brief period when they were going to cast Arnold Schwarzenegger as Sergeant Rock, which Whoa. might have been the greatest missing the point moment in the history of mass media. Yeah. <laughs> you know who should play Sergeant Rock? An Austrian who can't get rid of his accent. <laughs> <laughs> America's greatest Nazi killer, ladies and gentlemen. I hate the Germans so much. <laughs> Like, for america yeah <laughs> i actually have a, a button from a comic-con and it's a joe kubert sergeant rock with arnold's face in it that's how close they got to pulling the trigger on that thing really so what were, year what year was that do you remember that must have been like early 90s late 80s first one i went to was 89 and it wasn't that one i think mm-hmm. it was a few years after that just trying to put that in Arnold's career about like where would that have happened? Like pre total recall, I think. Pre total recall. Wow. Well, wow. It's a um, complete aside, but I always I was reading something. Can't remember where I got this information from, but De Laurentiis had David Cronenberg work on that script for like a year and a half. He kept David Cronenberg locked up, writing a Total Recall script. That probably was very much like told Philip K. Dick's short story, knowing mm-hmm. David Cronenberg. And eventually Cronenberg just went, you're never going to like what I do. So can I be free of this? And then we get the Paul Verhoeven movie. Yeah. <laughs> Which wow. bears absolutely no resemblance to that short story. Um, but that yeah, happen- those that happens a lot that- with Philip K. Dick, though. Like yeah. with Philip K. Dick, they just love to steal the title. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting to me because I don't know about you guys, but I don't know if Philip K. Dick, I don't know, even 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I mean, maybe in the 80s, yeah. But, like, now I would say, like, I don't think you were – if you just go to walk up to somebody on the street and be like, who's Philip K. Dick? I don't know if they could tell you. Not Unless they were science fiction fans, probably yeah. not. Yeah. yeah. The thing that interests me the most is I would say that the two most uh, faithful adaptations of Philip K. Dick – they didn't pay him anything and they changed the title and the character names. I would say that uh, the Truman show is a really gr- I mean, supposedly they showed the script to Terry Gilliam and he said, this is time out of joint by Philip K. Dick. And you just changed a few elements of the plot and no, I won't participate in you ripping off Philip K. Dick like this. And the matrix is kind of all of Philip K. Dick's ideas boiled down into a, a stew. Mm-hmm. Really? That's what I would say. The matrix is a, better adaptation of the work of philip k dick than blade runner actually yeah Yeah. (laughs) considering all of the things they had to cut out of blade runner to make it you know uh work palatable to uh to an audience i mean none of it is action adventure the man never wrote an action adventure novel and it's funny that they've all been turned into it's the it's the exact same problem they keep having with star trek Mm -hmm. every time they make a star trek movie they make it an action adventure yeah yeah and the only time they've made like a cerebral actually feels like an episode of Star Trek was the motion picture. And nobody liked it. I did. I do too. I, I'm yeah. a, I'm a fond of that I, one. I'm there also. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I saw that movie 10 times in 1979. Remember back in the day, you guys may both be a little young for this. There was this thing where they would let you stay in the theater if you wanted to see the movie another time. No, I don't know. You literally didn't. You, if you if you stayed in your seat, they just show you the movie again in ten. They would minutes. just let you get a free ticket. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I wish that existed when I was a kid. The, the last <laughs> time I did it was for Star Trek: The Motion Picture. I yeah. went to see it on a matinee, probably the second or third time I saw it, and then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to stay right here. I don't have to go anywhere. I I, I bought back to back tickets. I mean, it, it's it's funny you're talking Star Trek because I think the first movie I probably ever did that for was Generations. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you know you just but but they came and checked our tickets. They were they were like get the fuck out you of know, here. Like, oh no, now we have tickets. I mean, 
you know, Psycho ended the practice. The old practice was you'd walk in whenever <clears> you felt like it. You mm-hmm. could wait for a movie to start, but start times. You, when I watched movies as a kid with my dad, he would always say, "This is where I walked in to the Maltese Falcon. This is where I walked <laughs> into." And then you and it's I the like opposite of the pee break, like like that the site yeah. that's like when to go to pee. <laughs> yeah, but there, there's something about uh, a movie being a mystery to you and picking up clues as to what's going on and mm-hmm. who's doing what, and then and then you watch the beginning again and you go, "Oh, that's what's." Uh, the last movie I did that for, when I was like six or seven, the first Bond movie I ever saw was uh, <clears throat> Live and Let Die mm-hmm. in England. And we walked in uh, in the scene where uh, Rosie is killed on the island. And then we stayed for the beginning of the movie and caught up again. And then I think we left after that. But that was a whole thing. And Psycho... Uh, Hitchcock was like, this movie does not work like that at all. I'm putting my foot down. You can only admit people in the first five minutes and then that's it. Lock the doors and don't let them out until it's over. Mm. And that changed how people, Psycho changed how people saw movies. No, you actually have to watch the thing in order from the beginning. It's funny you say that because like, that's sort of like picking up the clues you go along. That's how I first got into comic books because where I lived in the middle of Southeast Kansas, you know, three hours from in the closest airport in any direction. Um, I got my comic books from Walmart. Mm-hmm. And then the later, like there was a music store called on Q, which apparently was a franchise, but I never ever saw another one ever again. <laughs> um, but there were no comic book stores where I grew up. I didn't see a comic book store until I was an adult. Um, wow. And I would, I specifically remember it's, it's the Chuck Dixon Nightwing series. And I remember getting issue eight. And then I remember the next time I went, it was like 12. And then the next time I went, it was like 15. And the next wow. time I went, it was like 17. So I didn't like, I had to like basically, all right, okay, I guess he got here and I guess he figured that out. And it wasn't until they released the trades later that <coughs> I got to like fill in the holes. Yeah. But I just had to basically get, and this was before uh, any series did a recap page. Yeah. I always say recap pages are the greatest invention in the history of comic books because that's the, what you're talking about is the reason for some of the unreadability yeah. of 80s comic books. You know, all respect to Chris Claremont, but the first page of every issue of X-Men is, why are we visiting Muir Island, Professor Cyclops, who is also a, <laughs> Professor X, who is also a telepath. Well, Cyclops, who shoots eye beams, uh, as and you from remember. Alaska. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. the, the huge exposition dumps. And I think a lot of the, you know, I don't want to blame Chris for that. I think those were, those were forced on you by editorial, but like, everyone had to tell you what their powers were. Everyone mm. had to tell you what their origin story was. Um, and that was, that made for some incredibly bad writing. And I love being able to write a script now and just pick right the hell up and read the inside cover. I'll give you all the information you need. And uh, as we all remember, (laughs) if you ever write the line, as you know, yes, early your computer should explode and you you should never work again. You know what's coming (laughs) next is totally necessary. Yeah, as you know, Mr. Spock on Vulcan. Yeah, why are you telling me that? I, I yes, <laughs> yeah, I told I'm a you Vulcan. that. Like, I know. Yeah, yeah oh, that is boy. that is the worst writing. But yeah, I remember that. And honestly, jumping into the endless continuity of superhero books, honestly, even if you got a run in the in a row when you came in, I mean, I think the first superhero comic I ever read was Tales of Suspense, sixty-eight, something mm-hmm. like that. And it was Iron Man versus Titanium. And I don't know a fucking thing about Iron Man. <laughs> you know, I didn't I didn't remember anything. I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything about Captain America. Backup was a Captain America story. Uh, and that made it kind of fun. And in those, they weren't trying to really explain. This was like the late 60s, early 70s. Mm-hmm. No one was really explaining to you what was going on. Just, you're an adult. You're, you can figure out who the good guy and the bad guy is. You know, you're, you're eight. <laughs> you can handle this level of sophistication. The first Iron Man book I read, uh, James Rhodes was in the Iron Man suit. I don't know if Tony was dead or, you know, lost. No, he had bottle. retired, I think. Or, or, yeah, but it was, it yeah. was Rhodey wearing the normal Iron Man suit. It was like just before he became War Machine. And so yep. 
when Tony Stark, I remember I started getting that title. So when Tony Stark came back, I was like, uh-uh, go, who are you, not, idiot? Not my Iron Man. Yeah, not that, my Iron Man. I still <laughs> feel that way today. I still feel like Rhodey is my Iron Man. That's yeah. and, and that's, I remember the first time I encountered someone 10 years younger than me and Roger Moore was their James Bond. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, planet. Is that anyone's James Bond? But these endless franchises, you know, the, the dumbest thing that you can want out of media is, Give me the same thing in the same package yes. that I had when I was a kid. I don't want it to be any different. And that's just not how time works. You know? It's just, and it makes for some really bad art. I was actually yes. just thinking this afternoon, I love Star Wars. I'm not one of those people, the Star Wars fans that like gets off on hating Star Wars. But I remember, and I love the movie. It's a great <clears> movie. I remember seeing Lando Calrissian in Han Solo's costume at the end of The Empire Strikes Back was the first time that I went, George Lucas is not actually a terribly imaginative man. <laughs> like, what he wants from me as an audience is to go, oh, Lan oh, look, I recognize the costume Lando's wearing. It's not, like, what is that, what is I the love... story point being made there? <laughs> I love that that's what Han's your brain came up with. put his vest on. You know? I love, I love that your brain came, my brain, when seeing that movie, I was like, Oh, Lando robbed Hal's or Han's closet. Yeah. That's what I thought. <laughs> it's just like thinking back on it. But I remember at the time, like I didn't put any thought into it at all. But even my 15-year-old brain went, what is, why would you do that? Like what a, what a lame-ass weird choice that is. And, you know, that's, I still enjoy it. I, I thought the book of Boba Fett was laughably bad and I still enjoyed the episodes because my expectations are, you you know, as I someone asked me when I got back from seeing Rise of Skywalker, I was like, I loved it. It did not make me 12 again because nothing on earth can actually do that. <laughs> there, there is nothing that actually can make me experience a movie the way I did when I was 12 and I saw Star Wars and that's, I don't have that expectation of anything. You know, you were talking about fun earlier. This is not a complete non sequitur. And that you're, you know, the thing you're, you're kickstarting is obviously a, a, a work of, you know, of joy and appreciation and all that. And someone was tweeting quotes from the Robert Pattinson review about how the next Batman movie was going to be super serious and sad. And I went, thank God. I am so tired of the fun loving joy-filled Batman <laughs> movies I've been getting since 1989. Uh, yeah, Think of right? somebody has the guts to make a depressing Batman movie. <laughs> Which is why I will always talk about how much I enjoy Diedrich Bader in the role. That's the Batman for the 21st century. For oh, me. Batman Brave and the Bold. Yeah. Brave and Bold and also uh, his character on Harley Quinn is maybe my yes. favorite interpretation. I love the idea that they took with that show is not that Harley Quinn is crazy. It's that everyone in Gotham is kind of out of their mind. And Batman is actually their, the straight man in that situation. <laughs> like everyone else is funny, crazy nuts. And he's just kind of like, Ugh. <laughs> I'm just exhausted, but I'll help you even making, yep. you know, they have Maloney, Chris Maloney playing, Commissioner Gordon, uh, I was gonna say that is my favorite Gordon version. As a complete, of, he's nut. just lost it. He, he uh, like that is my favorite version of Commissioner Gordon now because I'm like, yeah, he is pure exhaustion. Just because, like, I mean, think about it. This is a guy that, like, the only way he can do his job is he has to partner with this guy that dresses like a bat, who's kind of a dick, and yeah, somehow and every once in a while shows up with little children. Nothing to do with him. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, he's like, he's like, here, here, Commissioner Gordon, I have this new nine-year-old boy that's gonna help me fight crime and the guy's like are you uh, oh my god real <laughs> that's what you're doing <laughs> right. right yeah no i think it's one of the first episodes he uses the bat signal to tell batman that his wife will make eye contact with him during sex anymore. yeah <laughs> and batman's like bad jim 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 the bat signal is not for this <laughs> i don't know we're friends we're co-workers <laughs> you know like don't don't do that but yeah i just I'm not the biggest fan of the bat universe. And I love that. That take on it to me is so hilarious. And ironically, I think partially because of the comedy, I've said this before too. I love the way Kirby writes dark side as a poetic weirdo. And that is the only show where dark side is written the way Kirby wrote him. 
as a poetic weirdo and not as the 900th Xerox of Darth Vader, which is the irony because Darth Vader and Thanos are based on him. And when you start seeing them in DC movies, you're they're like, well, this is a pale imitation of Thanos and Darth Vader. It's like, should not be the audience's reaction to meeting Darkseid for the first time. The, um, the, the older I get, the more I value just fun and escape and entertainment. I mean, there yes. was a, you know, I, um, I had a, I had a snooty period of my life in terms of the art I was consuming, the music, the uh, the movies. The I mean, I went to the American Film Institute Conservatory, right? I, I'm getting an echo from you, I think, uh, Avaloni. It's okay, a, a little bit weird, but um, you know, and it's like, oh well, you know, uh, oh, you know, it's it's about art and it's about being serious and let's, you know, but man, I mean, it's like real everyday life is such a kick in the fucking teeth over and over again. I mean, particularly now, you know, I mean, we've been stuck inside for two years and uh, we're, we're, you know, the, the political divide we're experiencing, all of these things, man, I just want, when I turn on the TV, when I, uh, you know, play some music via Alexa, whatever, I just want, you know, I want endorphins. I want candy. I want to, um, and so, um, you know, you go from, uh, uh, you know, being lost in experimental jazz to, can I just get some fucking ACDC? Like, just, mm -hmm. just give me highway to hell over and over and over again. You know, uh, uh, the, 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 the crop of Oscar movies that are just cut from the same fucking cookie cutter every fucking year, you know, uber serious and, oh, look how important and weighty these things are. I can't even watch the screeners anymore. You know, it's we like, got through about half of them because like, yeah, there was a certain point where I was like, I don't know how many more like my mom or dad has died stories I can take, especially. Yeah. And I think a lot of that, again, is because of, yeah, what you said, like we were trapped inside for two years. You know, it just seems like all we get, especially when you look at the media is like all bad news. Yeah, And it's funny. Yeah. Like, but that has also gone back to what you were saying, David, about Star Wars and 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 Batman and stuff like that. It's like it's interesting to see that like the big budget art that is being made right now, the content that's being put out there, is literally just like, hey, remember that thing from twenty years ago? We're just gonna literally repeat it. Yeah, yeah, let's yeah. run it back out. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, yeah. We're just gonna give it to you yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. What is different and new and interesting about this Batman movie? That is my reaction to the trailer every time I fucking see it. It's just like, yeah. why? Why was this made? Other than yeah, I don't understand just, either. Just fucking cash grab, and I'm sure it's fine. And if it was the first Batman movie or superhero movie I, I've ever I, I've ever seen, I'm sure it would blow my mind. But it's like I you have done this exact same thing ten times very recently, and you did it better three times ago, and better than that four times four times before that. Um, and, and then also and, Batman the animated series like easily outweighs yeah, gonna outweigh yeah, you at every turn. Yeah, animated Batman beats the <laughs> hell out of all filmed Batman every yeah. single time. Yeah, Kevin I, Conroy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And because it is entertaining and it is light and it has swagger mm -hmm. and it is not lost in its own I don't know, pretentiousness, you know? Yeah. It, yeah. it, it is it, it is it is a good fucking time. You know, you, yeah, and, and you, also, you, you sit down and the tension leaves your body. And like, and also, you can make you can make serious art about serious things that is entertaining. Yes. you can channel, enter. You can channel the serious stuff you want to talk about into your entertainments. It's okay, you know. Yes. It's mm -hmm. it's done all of the time, and it's just about it's just about balance. I, a lot of streaming services now have shows that are post apocalyptic. Yes, and they're all the same show. Yeah, yeah. And the worst part is the same show that they are is The Walking Dead. Yeah, yeah. There's a version of War of the Worlds where they literally they call it War of the Worlds, but it's The Walking Dead except the Martian war machines, which is a really interesting. And is that invasion visual. that you're talking about? No, I'm talking about it's called The War of the Worlds. Oh, is it called the? Oh, I thought you were talking about that. Invasion is actually <laughs> the slightly better version of The War of the Worlds than the one called The War of the, War the Worlds. Worlds. Yeah. All right, all right. Well, it, it, yeah, yeah. Like it, Invasion it, actually has big, spectacular space monsters in it, but you don't see them for eleven episodes. Thanks. Uh, the one called War of the Worlds, the alien presence is boiled down to robot dogs that somehow have all the same uh, characteristics of of zombies. Really, you got to shoot them in the head. You know, there's mm -hmm. a lot of and there was one, there's one called Station Eleven. Oh yeah. That is actually about the fact that art survives the apocalypse. That after the apocalypse, people are still gonna be putting on Shakespeare. 
And that one's great. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's still got a lot of darkness in it. And it's still about the end of the world. And there's still flashbacks <laughs> to a virus knocking out half of humanity. But it's about the survival of art and joy. Yeah. And you can do it. Like it's, it's literally the proof of concept that it doesn't have to be just arid and airless. And, and look, yeah. anyone that has ever been through a terrible experience in their life. I remember watching two morgue employees carry my father's body down the stairs mm -hmm. and they couldn't, they couldn't make the turn. There was a turn in the staircase and they couldn't make it without doing something they felt was disrespectful to a dead body. And watching these, it was one of the great silent comedy things I have ever seen in my life. And it was the worst day of my life. And me and my sister were sitting there going, oh my God, Laurel and Hardy with the fucking stretcher. They can't work it out. They can't figure out how to get down the stairs. And we still laughed. Mm -hmm. The world had ended and we were laughing our asses off at two idiots who couldn't figure out how to get my father's dead, my beloved father's dead body down the stairs. And I think about that when I watch something like The Walking Dead, which has no humor, which has no lightness. Well, it's, it's a race to out-top yourself with how serious we can be. Yeah. And it's about fucking zombies. Yeah. What me about that show is that they they sort of get off on messing with the audience, on seeing like, mm -hmm. oh, well, you know, okay, well, they took that punch to the solar plexus like last week. Let's hit him directly in the throat this week, you know, just to, just to screw with them. It was like, I had to stop watching Walking Dead because like, you know, they, they were just fucking with me. It was like, Glenn died, and I'm like, this is it. It, 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 it's, it's not just a step too far. It's five, six, seven, eight, nine, you know, 10 steps too far. I'm tired of being messed with. I'm tired of watching fucking like murder porn or whatever. Yeah. It's like, there, there are no redeeming qualities to this show at this point. You know, this is, this is, this is, I, I'm, I'm investing in these characters. I'm falling in love with them, not even because of the writing, but because the, the actors were so good. Yeah. So, you know, Steven Yoon is cast. an incredible yeah, yeah. actor. You know, and I fell in love with, with, with him and he brought so much humanity to that, to that role. And then they just murder him senselessly and think that they're making some sort of fucking statement about life and society and, and, and man. And it's just fucking mean and it's well, soulless and, and it's idiotic. You know, I have no interest in watching it. Yeah. And it's also what two things kicked me out of it. It's it stopped being science fiction almost immediately. Because mm -hmm. in science fiction, it's the Kurt Busiek thing. You go, well, what would really happen? Mm -hmm. I remember reading an article after the show was a giant hit about how the zombie apocalypse problem would be solved by birds and insects and coyotes within three months. Because animals would eat the dead. Animals eat dead bodies like pretty damn fast. Oh, so they pick the zombies apart so much. That they Yeah, basically, walk. even if they were shuffling oh. around, eventually wild dogs... <laughs> would take out a zombie horde in about five minutes. Okay. And like I said, and coyotes and bears and bir like birds would be slowly pecking them to pieces as they shambled along. You know, they'd stop being afraid of them pretty quick when they realized they couldn't hurt them in any way. Well, especially if they were just slow. They were like, rrr, rrr, Yeah, but they were literally like, you know, like insects care. alone would destroy a zombie horde in about a month and a half. So you heard it here, everybody. Wow. David Avalone has proven that the zombie apocalypse is bullshit. Yeah. Well, my <laughs> we have nothing is, to worry about. A good, writer, <laughs> a good writer might have come up with a way to do something with that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they they go, oh, you know, if we if we like it, we can use the fact that predators will eat this thing. to you know, like, We need dogs in our encampments or bear trainers. <laughs> yeah. They tried it. They brought a tiger in. And, yeah. and, and, and oh, okay. that was another reason. But that's my point. Is they stopped, like, there's a tiger now, really? <laughs> yeah, they stopped thinking about the scenario, and it just became a soap opera about people getting eaten. And that's not interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, about people getting eaten and people wandering through the woods. That's, that, that's I think, I've used that's the joke. The, that's uh, the yeah. thing that I got tired of. I, I got tired yeah. of seeing the same. And you could tell, I think I dropped out, like, in the fourth season, but you could tell that they, they had this, like, one-mile stretch yeah. yeah, of just Georgia forest pastures, yeah. and they would just like walk the characters, you know, to the left, 
all right, flip the cameras. And then they would walk the characters to the right. And you were literally seeing the same road just with the yeah. camera flipped in every episode. Ooh, ooh train tracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I've used the joke on the show before, but but my go-to joke was always my favorite episode of The Walking Dead is the one where they wander through the woods for an hour. And it's like, you know. Yeah. That's that's that's, that's, that's oh. 90% of the episodes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know you've got a hard out pretty soon, Jason. So let's recap. Remind us where your Kickstarter now in its final days can be found. Uh superbestfriendcomic.com is the easiest place to find it. Um, and if you're a fan of the legendary artist Dan Jurgens. He did a variant cover for me. You know, I said, like, you remember I said, it's talking about fun. My fun for this was I was like, you know what? I've always wanted Dan to draw a cover for me. I'm going to email him. And he said, yes. So uh, bucket list item crossed off. Uh, I, think best the, I did a, I just, it wrapped up a couple of weeks ago. I did a Kickstarter for Kolshak, the Night Stalker, an yes. anthology. I wrote one story in it. And I think there's a Jerry Ordway cover. Ooh. I think he redid, there's a Batman rogues gallery cover i think he recreated it with kolshak and his monsters which is really great i think i'm remembering that right anyway thank you so much for being on the show uh where can people find you on the internet uh the easiest place you can find me is at jawin that's j-a-w-i-i-n on twitter and instagram and also youtube and you can find me on the podcast geek history lesson uh every single week on apple and spotify Excellent. And Ryland, where can the kids find you? Uh, I am at Ryland Grant on all forms of social media. That's R-Y-L-E-N-D-G-R-A-N-T. I always spell it because it's not a real name. My parents drunkenly saddled me with it. And so, yeah, now I have to spell it for you. Um, but uh, yeah, Banjacks, uh, Aberrant Suicide Jockeys available in comic shops and on Comixology and Amazon and all that good noise. And uh, go to the uh, uh, backer kit uh what is it? Uh, the jump to dot backer com. I don't even know my own uh, uh, store site right now for, for everything else. Uh, uh, the jump and the peacekeepers and sign copies of things and all sorts of other goodies. So check yeah. it out. And I can be found at David freelance.com that links to all of the things. I think Elvira meets Vincent price number five, the final issue, which actually teases a whole new series. Uh, called Elvira in Horror Land, which should be coming eh, two, three months, maybe. Uh, and there will be a, it might have started by the time this airs, there's something called The Death of Elvira, which is best described as maybe sort of a loving satire of Cassandra Peterson's memoir. Uh, the gag is, what if uh, Elvira was Cassandra and lived her life? So it's basically a bunch of hilarious anecdotes Cassandra told me about her life mapped onto the character of Elvira as she is remembered after her death. Ooh, well. hmm. Stay tuned, kids. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show, Jason, and we'll see everybody on the next exciting episode. Thanks for listening, guys. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more madcap hijinks on The Writer's Block. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.